is it you haven't seen the god song psycho? Bro, you have seen Taxi Hello and welcome to FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. My name is Bubba Weeds, and today my guest is Jay Cluett from Life vs. Film. How are you doing today, Jay? Very well, thank you, Bubba. Thank you for having me on. And it's uh, good to be back. I've taken a few weeks off because um, I have moved. I, it wasn't a too far of a move, but it's, there is a lot of stuff involved. But I am glad to be back to uh, hopefully get on a regular schedule. And I've got uh, some uh, exciting shows lined up for you in the next few weeks. So I look forward to, to getting back in on this film-wise. And, uh, and Jay, it's nice to have you back. Um, you were on one of my earlier episodes where we talked about 12 Angry Men and uh, Superman the movie. I remember it well. It's good to be back. Uh, thank you for having me back on. And so why don't you uh, go ahead and take just a, a minute or two and remind everybody where they can find you online, which it has expanded a little yeah. bit <laughs> since then. <laughs> you can find me all over the place. Uh, my main site is, is lifeversusfilm.com, lifevsfilm.com, which is just my own site. I uh, write about all kinds of things, mainly the thousand one movies you must see before you die list. Uh, I've actually stepped back a little bit from that because I've done been doing so much else as well. I, I now also write for uh, Blueprint Review, uh, uh, English sites now and then, when they want films that I want to review reviewed. And I also write for French Toast Sunday, uh, FrenchToastSunday.com. I do a, uh, a bi-weekly, or every two weeks, piece for them and various other articles here and there. And I've also become the host of the Lambcast since I was last on, uh, the official podcast of the Large Association of Movie Blogs, which you as yourself have guested on many times, I think three times so far this year, and you're due on next week as well. Um, yeah, which can be found at Lambcast, or largeassmovieblogs.com. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Life vs. Film or at Lambcast. <laughs> yeah, I think I have been listening to the Lambcast a, a little bit more since you've started hosting. Uh, I I like your choice in topics. Not that uh, not that Dylan had a, a poor choice, but the the Lambcast is one of those podcasts where um, the topic of the of the discussion is. Very influential on, on whether I decide to listen to it or not, since it doesn't have like a uh, a specific group of uh, people from week to week where I can kind of get a feel uh, for them and listen to them just because I like listening to them. Yeah, well, I, I, I've listened to the Lamcast since I first discovered it and went, then went back and listened to everything I'd missed because I, I liked Dylan as a host and so I would listen to everything just because he was on it and whoever else was going to be on it. But now I've kind of taken over. Uh, I pick topics I want to talk about, so that's why we had an episode devoted to the Muppets, <laughs> which, which you were very kind enough to guest on and that was a lot of fun. And <laughs> involved watching eight Muppet films in a week, <laughs> which is a, so much fun, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because it drove me a little bit insane. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll Although I'll, I'll let you on in and on a little bit of, of a secret here, uh, I only caught up with one of those recently, <laughs> and, and a couple of the others I just kind of uh, faked it. Uh, I, I managed to miss out on one and a half of them. So uh, when we did a recent Darren Aronofsky podcast, I didn't watch three of them. So and there's, <laughs> and there's only six. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let you off. All right. Well. Um, as always, I have some questions to get to know your movie tastes a little bit better, and uh, uh, since you have been on here before, I will go ahead and quickly remind everybody what your answers were last time, and the three movies that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of are Jurassic Park, Finding Nemo, and Armageddon. 
the uh, your favorite movie that you had only seen once was Brief Encounter. Your favorite superhero movie is Iron Man. And your favorite genre of movies was uh, prison escape movies or heist movies. And your biggest film-wise at the time was Singing in the Rain. So have you uh, caught up with Singing in the Rain yet? I have it on DVD. I'm looking at it. The DVD, but I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. I'm. I'm taking part in the the Blind Spot series over at the the matinee cast of the matinee this year, and I've scheduled Singing in the Rain to be my December film. So it's going to kind of cap off the year with potentially the biggest film on there. And I, I want to replace Armageddon on my three films I've, I haven't got time of watching with the uh, film that we're going to be talking about later on today, which I realise I've probably seen more times and enjoy more. It's just a little bit longer. Yeah, although uh, uh, we'll get to it whenever we talk about the movie, but it also has a certain song. <laughs> it does indeed, and I, I much prefer the song from Armageddon than the song from from the film. I don't know why we're dancing around the name of the film. It's in the title of the show. I hate the song <laughs> from Titanic. <laughs> hate it, hate it, hate it. But I, I love the song from uh, from Armageddon. I'm just the more a fan of Aerosmith and Celine Dion. So yeah, yeah no I, I, taste. <laughs> I think everyone yeah. should be. <laughs> But I do have a couple new questions for you. So what is your favorite movie that uh, you like that most people don't? Uh, that would be Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, <laughs> uh, which is, is quite topical with the new film coming out this mm-hmm. week. Um, I've, I've been made fun of and mocked on the, on the Lambcast before, but I do enjoy sitting down and watching that. I admit that it's a terrible, terrible film, um, but it's a guilty pleasure, shall we say. And I, I find it a lot of fun. But then... We've already discussed I'm, I'm a fan of Jurassic Park, and there are a lot of elements of Jurassic Park in Godzilla with the velociraptor-like babies running around. And it's not done quite as well as Jurassic Park, um, not nearly as well, but it's still uh, it's still entertaining, I find. Yeah, Godzilla is one of those films where I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I saw it in theaters whenever it came out, and I haven't seen it since. <laughs> I, I probably liked it at the time, but just the, the whole pop culture disgust of the movie has... <laughs> has sunken into my brain. Uh, I I, I saw it in theatres, I think I was 11 when it came out, and I loved it. And I just haven't stopped. So, yeah. There are a lot of films, there's other films that I saw as a child and now hate, uh, like Space Jam, I think is now a terrible film. I used to love that film. Uh, Seriously, go back and watch Space Jam, it's abysmal. Uh, I I have never seen it, but it's one of my wife's favourites. And and, and one of the, one of the quotes, from the movie, she would say a lot, and it even kind of got me into saying it quite a bit, even though I haven't seen the movie. But it, <laughs> it's the it's a Daffy Duck line: "The um, I don't want to go to school today. Yeah. I want to stay home and bake cookies with you." <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's I, I um I saw it secondhand in a, a DVD shop a couple of years ago for like really cheap, and so I thought I've, I've got to get that. That was one of my favorite films growing up, and I sat down, made, made my girlfriend watch it, and she just kind of looks at me every every five ten minutes like, why why are we watching this? <laughs> what are you doing to me? You're going to pay for this kind of thing. <laughs> like I I remember it being better. It'll get better. They didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it it also seems like a very nineties movie. It is very much a 90s movie, yes. All right, and then um, if you were to write, uh, change your blog to like a narrow niche blog, something like for superhero movies or, say, uh, prison escape movies, 
uh, what would you choose for that? Well, I, I already have a kind of a, a, a niche with the thousand one movies you must see before you die, but that's quite a broad one because there's about 1200 films on it now. So <laughs> if I were to narrow that down even further, I might go for animated films because I'm, I'm a bit of a big fan of those. Uh, and I think it's been brought up on a different podcast that you appeared on where I think it was the, the Lair of the Unwanted where they requested some, uh, film questions, some, some descriptions of films very loosely. You had to guess what the film was. And I gave the description of either Seven Samurai or Magnificent Seven, hoping that's what someone would guess. But because they said that I had written the question, you immediately jumped in and said, oh, that must be a Bugs Life then. Because <laughs> that's all I watch is animated films. I love, I love cartoons. I love Pixar especially. That's why Finding Nemo is on the, that three films I've seen so many times. You could add uh, the Toy Story trilogy, you could add Wall-E, you could add The Lion King. That's so many films I, I would watch over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm a big fan of animation too. Although I, I think I like a lot of the uh, the older animations. It, it's like the 3D animation is is great, and, and it keeps getting better. But there's still something about 2D animation, you know, the, the hand drawn style that that I still love. Like I think like I'm really sad that uh, Don Bluth doesn't make movies anymore because he his were some of my favorites. Uh, Secret of Nim. Um, to a lesser extent, all dogs go to heaven. Um, and his last one was Titan AE, which was so oh, it, it wasn't a great movie, but it it looked fantastic. See, th- this is why it would probably be good for me to write this kind of a site because I haven't seen any of the Don Bluth films. I think I, I, there's a lot of the earlier animation I'm not that familiar with. I, I think I've seen things like Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, that kind of thing, but not very recently. I, I recognize them if they were on, but I couldn't tell you anything about them. So if I, I've, I'm very good with the more modern stuff, uh, the past 15 years or so, but the more classic stuff, it would be, I need to go back and rewatch that. And things like Studio Ghibli, you could, um, I'm, uh, very limited in my knowledge of that. I've only seen two or three of them. And I'd expand it out to be maybe stop motion as well, because I, I love stop motion films, like uh, the Wallace and Gromit films. Yeah. I, my, my daughter and I are, are a big fan of the, the stop motion, um, the, like the Tim Burton, Harry Selleck style, like uh, yes. Nightmare Before Elm Street and Coraline. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you said that was... <laughs> that would be an amazing film. <laughs> That's a little bit different film. Um, I want to watch Henry Selleck's Nightmare Before Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Frank and Weenie is another one that she really loves. Yes, I, I really like Frank. So you, you have the excuse for watching the children's films and that you have a child? <laughs> I, I don't. Like yesterday, I went and bought Frozen, and like I'm just a, a late twenties guy going and buying Frozen on his own. <laughs> and that's a little bit creepy. You just have to pretend you have a child, <laughs> get a pack of packet of sweets to go with it, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, and another thing that I like to do now with my second guests is, since I'm always the one asking my guests the questions, uh, I offered the chance for you to ask me a couple movie-related questions to, to get to know more about my movie tastes. Okay. Um, first off, if a superhero movie were made about your life, who would play you and what superpower would they have? Now, this was an interesting question <laughs> because, I don't know, I, I think of myself as a very average person and most actors I, I think of as movie stars. So if even though he's very young right now, uh, maybe he could play me as a teenager. But I I think uh, I really like Logan Lerman. Okay, um, so he'd be the origin story, kind of. <laughs> right. Uh, he was in uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower and uh, the, the Percy Jackson uh, Percy Jackson films. And okay. 
And the the power one, that one's easy because my favorite uh, superpower has always been shape shifting. Okay. Like uh, Mystique. Yes. Um, that's uh, I, I've always been fascinated with it. Uh, ever since I was younger and, and on the uh, like X Men animated series, uh, even though he was only in like a couple episodes, my favorite the character I gravitated to was Morph. I'm not not familiar with him, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, well, he I was, can guess what he does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he actually dies in in the first uh, episode or two, and uh, then he comes he comes back in a later series, and he shows that he can actually be a force to be reckoned with, uh, kind of like how uh, kind of like Nightcrawler in the opening scene of X Two. He had one of those kind of moments where he would shape shift into all these giant mutants and uh, just kick some ass and then went away. Okay, cool. I'd go for stopping time myself, just because that's that's something I could find very very useful. But, okay, uh, next, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because there's there's this um, comedy TV series that's a Hulu original called The Awesomes, and uh, even though I haven't finished it, I've, I've only watched the first two or three episodes. It's about like a, a C or a D level superhero team, and the main character is trying to live up to his. Uh, father who used to be the uh, the uh, leader of the awesomes and then he retired and and all the rest of the awesomes left too so he's left to try and rebuild uh, with all the misfits superheroes and he has the everybody thinks that he doesn't have any powers but he does have the ability to stop time he just doesn't he he only uses it to basically talk to the camera it's, in the first <laughs> it's kind of Zach Morris from Safe by the Bell then yeah kind of like that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Very cool. Hey, next question. Uh, if you didn't podcast or write about movies, what would you talk or write about instead? Well, before I did this, like long before, years before, what I did was I had a uh, website. It was dedicated to fan fiction for video games. Uh, like uh, at the time, Final Fantasy VII was huge. It had just came out, and there was a ton of like fan fiction sites around the Final Fantasy universe. So I decided to make a site dedicated to. Um, Similar games, but that were lesser known, like Saga Frontier, uh, Breath of Fire was a big one. I actually have, <laughs> I still have the notebook. It, it's like a, a half-completed uh, fan fiction novel that I was writing, which I, I'm afraid to, to read it now. Because <laughs> I'm sure it's it's pretty awful and, and cheesy. I find it bad enough going back and, and reading reviews that I wrote three years ago. So, <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going back and reading something from even further back. But yeah. I'd probably do something like that. All right, cool. And uh, final question, just to get to know a bit more about your taste in film. What's your favorite non-superhero British film? Um. Well, when for some reason this was, it took a little bit of thinking for me. I had to look up some lists because I, it, it seems like it might be easy to think, well, this is a British film, this is an American film, but I have a hard time distinguishing them unless it's something like I don't know, like Gosford Park, I think. <laughs> the, the most English film ever made. <laughs> yes. Okay. But uh, I would I would have to say. And it's like whenever I saw it on the list, it's like, oh, duh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yep, that that's a, a classic. I love that film. And uh, and I would say a close second, which is miles apart from that one, would be uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. 
Okay, I'm going to be catching up with that one again very soon because it's uh, Danny Boyle month, month over at French Day Sunday. Dan May Boyle. Yes, Dan May Boyle. Yes, <laughs> we were t- doing and throwing with names for it, and like it was between that one and Danny Mail, and I was like, eh, Dan, Dan May Boyle. That's my vote. But yes, that, that is a great film. Now, do you think they're zombies or not? That is the question. Um. I, I don't really care. <laughs> okay, okay. It's a zombie film without zombies in it, is my. Yeah, it, it's. So I, I, I sit on the fence on that one. Yeah, it, it's just semantics. Yes, yes. They are okay. zombie-like creatures. Whether you want to call them zombies or not, it's up to you. Excellent, good answer. Um, so you, the the Holy Grail. Are you a fan of Life of Brian? Have you seen Life of Brian as well? Um, I have not seen it recently enough to remember pretty much anything about it. Okay. I've I've always been a bigger fan of of uh, the Holy Grail because I saw it first like ten or fifteen times before I saw it any other Monty Python, and um, I, I just love it. I love the rabbit. Yeah, the, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the Holy Grail was one of the I'd say ten or so VHSs that I owned, <laughs> where uh, at the time I wasn't a big movie collector, so if I owned it on VHS, I had to either really love it or it happened to be disturbing behavior. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that should bring us to the movie that you had me watch for the first time, which is pretty amazing considering that it is right now the number two highest grossing film of all time, <laughs> right below Avatar, and that is Titanic. If your grandmother's who she says she is, you're under arrest. Be damned. Now that's what I call a day. Make a note, Pat. I hope you enjoy your time together! Do you mind if I call you Dick? Aren't you gonna frisk me? Alright, you have my attention. I'm on my way. Still gets me every time. Yes, it is. When I I um, met with my parents the other weekend, and I sort of mentioned to them, oh, I'm going to be uh, doing a podcast next weekend about with a guy who hasn't seen Titanic before, and my mum just kind of dropped her spoon. Like what? Because <laughs> <laughs> the last time she went to see went to the cinema was Skyfall, and the time before that was Titanic. So this is the film that drew everybody into the theatre, including people that didn't know where theatres were. <laughs> and it's it's almost unfathomable to, that you haven't seen it. Why why hadn't hadn't you seen it before you entered? Um, I think a lot of it was at the time was the backlash, just at ha- how big it was. And I think a large part of it was the song. <laughs> That's just the end credits and all the way through the film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I heard the song everywhere on the radio and the fact that it's like, this is the best movie of all time. And I'm, and I was at the time, let's see, 97, I would have been 17. And so I was at that point, I was very anti-romantic comedy. And I know it's not, or anti-romance, I guess. Okay. Uh, and so I just avoided it on principle at the time. And then and after that, I just like, I don't know, what's what's the point in catching up with it? It's it's over three hours long. I don't <laughs> have that kind of time. I, I dread to think how many hours I've spent watching this film in the, in the past. <laughs> and besides, I know the boat sinks at the end. Not only do you know the boat sinks, but in the introduction, you know that Kate Winslet survives. Right? <laughs> like, that's her character old at the start. And uh, that anyway, yes, t- totally t- big enough to hold both of them. Oh. <laughs> uh, so yes, Titanic. It won uh, 11 Academy Awards, was nominated for a further three, uh, including Best best Picture, Director, 
uh, best song, uh, best score. It didn't. It missed out on leading actress, supporting actress, and makeup. And for many, many reasons, it was not nominated for best screenplay. Uh, but it's the story of the Titanic, which set sail in 1912, uh, 102 years ago, um, from Southampton, which. Is why I love this. One of the reasons I love this film is my hometown is Southampton. I have been to the dock where, well, been to near the dock where it set sail from. There used to be a big museum dedicated to Titanic for a short period in in Southampton, and I've been there, and it's where I, I lived for the first twenty odd years of my life. So big connection there. Um, and it makes when when they start saying, "Oh, it's not English, it's not Irish," yet, it was like, "But we Southampton." Cling to Southampton. <laughs> it's from Southampton, damn it. Um, yeah, it's a, the main story is the Titanic. Set sail, a few days later hits an iceberg, sinks. But in the midst of that, you have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Jack Dawson, penniless artist, and uh, Kate Winslet's Rose DeWitt Bicata, however you pronounce her name, is a, a rich, aristocratic, uh, engaged girl, age 17, and Starcross lovers, they meet, they fall in love, the boat still sinks. She dies, she survives, he dies. Spoilers. Yeah. Yes. So, um, did you like Titanic? Um, overall, yes, I, I did like it more than I expected to. And, and I did kind of go in expecting to not like the movie that much. There, there is a, a lot not to like, but there's, I, I say there's more to like than there is not to like. Because, um, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about films is when you can tell that a lot of work went into it and a, a phenomenal amount of work went into making Titanic. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that um, that my favorite parts of the movie was the uh, the wraparound. Uh, I, I did like the 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 scenes with Bill Paxton and uh, Old Rose telling the story, and uh, which I I always thought that was funny. Which I I had forgotten that he was in here, and uh, I thought <laughs> I like, oh, that's Bill Paxton. It's, <laughs> well, it's a James Cameron film, so he's in there somewhere. I think uh, Avatar is the only he's missed. Hail so. <laughs> <El> Hydra. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's uh. I've recently been seeing him in uh, Agents of Shield, yes. <laughs> and uh, I also thought it was kind of funny because the the last time that I saw Billy Zane was whenever I watched the uh, Tales from the Crypt movie. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because he's he's one of the reasons I both love and hate the film because <laughs> he his villain, his Cal, is. Just the most pantomime villain there has ever been on, in film, I would say. He, he is, he has no redeeming features whatsoever. He is just bad and evil for the sake of being evil. And it's such a joy to watch. <laughs> <laughs> he just yeah. eats the screen, eats the scenery, just how despicable he is. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm kind of right there along with you. There, there's some tired, like, there, there's some points in the film where it's, like really, and then there's other parts where he goes just that much farther, and it's like you know that I gotta give it credit. That's awesome that they that they chose to let him do that. Well, like the, the boat is going down, and yet he still decides he's gonna have a shootout and have a chase around and try and get the and try and kill Jack and Rose. Well, Jack, just despite the fact that he's probably going to die anyway because this giant ship with not enough lifeboats by half is going down, and it's just oh, he's such. An ass. <laughs> it's so much fun to watch. Uh, just uh, his hair is, is <laughs> <laughs> just becomes increasingly more dishevelled as he starts running around the second half. And, and I love the fact where it's uh, the, it's like they introduce the uh, the crying kid at the end, and, and you think, 
Oh, are, are they going to redeem him? Is he <laughs> no. going to have a redeeming moment? But, but no, he uses it for his own self-interests. Well, not even that. He sees the kid and then walks and, off. And, yeah, it, <laughs> he comes back like, for it. Ignores it. He comes back for it whenever it suits his own <laughs> self-interest. Because that is the perfect moment where you would get a redeem a redeeming character moment in any in any other film but this he just doesn't need it because he's he's an asshole he's gonna he, and he doesn't die <laughs> <laughs> well not not within the, the frame of the film but you find out in the in the epilogue that yes he does but he he is responsible there's a lot of quotes from this film that i use far more often than i should and completely out of context and my favorite is from him which is when he says i put the diamond in the coat and i put the coat on her the delivery of, of it where he just just <laughs> flips and goes insane i love that line <laughs> I love I love Billy Zane in this film more than it more than I should because every other is a, there's at least four or five kind of villain characters and most of them have a kind of a redeeming moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I can't remember what what Kate's mother's uh, Rose's mother's redeeming moment is, but she has uh, got she, she has just like a, she doesn't um, she just kind of has this mo- silent moment when she's on the lifeboat. And... Yes, she she kind of knows what she's doing is wrong kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like uh, Mr. Ismay, he's the the head of the White Star Line, the guy with the with the, with the mustache. He's also a, a, an ass, and, and but he, and he kind of gets on a boat when he knows he shouldn't. And you got the the guy I can't remember the name of him, the the, the steward who's been signing people on the boats, just kind of sees him get on and gives him this look of disdain. And and Mr. Ismay just just can't look back, and he he is feeling so guilty at that point. And you know that inside there is a person. And he's going to live with that guilt the rest of his life, and that is nothing that you see in Cal. There is no no inkling of humanity in him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, depending on your opinion, either makes him that much more awesome of a character to watch, or just a horrible character. I think it's a bit of both. I mean, uh, we were talking before the show. My, my my girlfriend likes this film at times, but she really really hates watching it at times as well because she gets so annoyed and caught up in in him. And, and just how much she wants him to die. <laughs> just hates every decision he makes. And she just gets really irate and angry at the screen. Yeah. I said that, uh, that I really like the wraparound. And the other thing that I really liked is once the boat starts sinking. Mm. That was always my favorite aspect of the film, the second half. Mm-hmm. It becomes a disaster movie, and I'm a big fan of disaster films. I've grown to become more appreciative of the first half with the, all the setup and the character introduction. Because the second half wouldn't have as much of an impact without the first, I'd say. Because you get to know these characters, you get to know Fabrizio, and it kind of crushes a little bit when he gets hit by the um, funnel. And, um, but the second half is where all the action is. It's the first half is for women, the second half is for men, I think is how it was kind of advertised. Yeah, although I think one thing that, that the second half does really well is it's, um, it really makes you care for a lot of the just random characters that haven't been set up. Yes. There, there's a lot of moments... Um, just like with the band, <laughs> this film makes the band a, a very um, sympathetic group of characters. Well, there's a film from late 50s, uh, A Night to Remember, it's called, which is all, all about the Titanic as well. It's an hour shorter than this one because it doesn't have the whole love story or m- as much of the love story in it. And a lot of the elements from, from Titanic were taken from A Night to Remember, including the band. Um, their their little story of playing to the end and then departing and then coming back and to continue to play is ripped almost directly from that. Uh, the only I think Honor Blackman is in a night to remember. That's the only only actress I can remember that's in it from from the Bond films, basically. Um, but there's, there are other elements taken from that. I can't remember them on top of my head, but there's there's quite a few. But the, it it's all done better in in James Cameron's film, I'd say. Yeah. 
and I, I do like the band. Uh, there, there is a lot of, of heartstring tugging. There's a little montage where they start playing a very sad song of of all these people that you should start feeling sorry for. Cause there's the elderly couple hugging in bed, and there's the woman reading the children the, the bedtime story before they drown. And mm. uh, there's you just kind of think, oh, all these characters we've we've barely even seen. They might have been in the background of a scene here or there. They're they're people. They're going to die, and they did die back in 102 years ago. Yeah, and and even like the the guy that gets dressed up to the nines, and he's just Mr. Like, Guggenheim. <laughs> he's dressed in his best and pretends to go down like gentleman. He would like a brandy. Right. <laughs> I, I love his character too. Yeah. I'm not sure if if I really like this film so much because I've seen it so many times, or just and it's become like familiar, and I just get to see all these people again, or if it is generally a really good film. I don't know. <laughs> no, I I mean it I feel like it has to be a good film. I mean to make that much money. I mean some people could argue well Avatar made even more and it's a much worse film. Ah, that had the 3D bump. Mm. <laughs> and that was the the 3D film to see whereas Titanic was just the film to see. Right. Yeah. right. I although I mean Titanic has its share of spectacle in it too. I mean you're not going to, in any of the classic movies, you're not going to see the boat sink in the way that it sinks in this. This and is true. That's why I brought up the scale earlier and how much work went into it, because if you read into it, so much money went into this film, so much work, so much detail. And it and it holds up still, because, I mean, so much of it was done for real. Yes. I mean, they, they, they built kind of half the ship, almost, <laughs> and to shoot from either side, not to full scale, but... Um, yeah, and there, there are a couple of a couple of moments that don't quite hold up when near the end when they're on the outside of the rails and it's against the the black sky when the boat's kind of up on end. There's a couple of bits there like that looks a little green screeny, but yeah. other than that, that's that's the only bits I can point out where it kind of looks a bit fake. And the yeah. dolphins, <laughs> <laughs> but the dolphins, not much you can do about that. It would have been quite difficult to get real dolphins to do that, I think. So. Right, but uh, but yeah, like I said, I I didn't care as much for the first half. I don't know. I just didn't care that much about the love story, and and I also didn't like the and that kind of featured into bits in the second half, which I didn't like or didn't care for. It's like uh, just kind of my knowledge surrounding the movie. Like I I knew that Jack was gonna die and he's gonna let go. Well, technically he doesn't let go. <laughs> he's frozen in place. Yeah, it's, I, that ending has a lot of people were annoyed because it's a big it's kind of i think it's a bit of a mantelpiece there on um and like rose is floating on it and and jack is in the water kind of clicking on and everyone's kind of says oh there's room enough for them both to sit on there but it's been looked into and it's not buoyant enough it's not about the space it's about the weight i think well actually uh, yeah i've seen it a couple different times and i think um the the uh, explanation is if they would have been smart enough which I, I guess Jack didn't have a, a life belt either because the they did an episode of MythBusters and if they'd have tied the uh, the two if they'd have tied two life belts to the bottom then it would have been buoyant enough and large enough to support both of them. But he didn't have one. It kind of annoys me that the least Rose could have done is given Jack her life jacket. <laughs> like she's on she's on the thing she's fine she's actually making it a little heavier with a life jacket on and so give it to him and he can stop paddling I don't know uh, just at the very least. Yeah, just, and, just a little thing, and then wait till somebody else has died, and then go and grab theirs. Or, I don't know. And whenever it gets to that moment, I I was just and they're having the the heartfelt conversation. I, I'm just like, oh, just freeze to death already. <laughs> Let go for Christ's sake. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's very drawn out. You mentioned the the first half is quite uh, slowly paced at times. I mean, after the the, the poker game that gets uh, Jack and and Fabrizio on the on the boat, it kind of slows down a bit. And, and of course, picks, Fabrizio just kind of disappears for most of the movie he, too. It's he like, crops yeah, up when he's needed. Beginning, like you see him for a second, he's like, "Hi, Fabrizio! Bye, Fabrizio!" <laughs> I go to America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That guy's in The Rock, and I think nothing else. <laughs> I've ever seen him. Um, but you can say that a lot about the character. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of named characters in there, some fictional, some some real, and they all kind of crop up here and there. It's made, it's just Jack and Rose and and Cal and and Ruth that kind of stick through the whole thing. Yeah, and and I also think it's it's kind of interesting. Um, which I was thinking about kind of towards the end of the movie whenever I realized that the story was all being told by Rose, but there's a lot of – I feel like there's probably a lot of moments in here that Rose wouldn't have known about. Yeah. Even though she is in most – she's in most of the scenes. She might not have known, for example, that Tommy got shot and that Fabrizio nicked his jacket and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the Tommy's the Irish guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you and you noticed uh, Mr. Fantastic was in there? Yoan uh, Yoan Grufford. I've been impressed his first name. No. Fantastic Four. Yeah. He's one of the um, the officers. Hmm. So, no, yeah. I, I didn't recognize him. Okay. Although there's plenty of other people to recognize in here. Like I, I noticed uh, Victor Garber. Yes. Well, I was going for the superhero relation uh, <laughs> connection. <laughs> I thought you'd have poked out. Oh, he's in it. He's going to stretch out and save everyone and become a, a, a life raft. <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy at the end that goes back, the captain of the lifeboat that goes back. To, Is there anybody out there? Oh yeah, I didn't notice that at all. Although it's okay. it's been like over four years since I've watched those Fantastic Four movies. Oh no worries. But yeah, you said uh, Victor Garber's in there, uh, Bernard Hill, uh, David Warner. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good character actors dotted around here and there. Uh, Kathy Bates. The, we haven't yes. mentioned Molly Brown, who is. But yeah, she's great in this. Yeah, she is my favorite character. Yep, because yeah, because she kind of straddles the line of being she's the new money. She's got the kind of the charm and, and which the, that the... that was another line that just for for a very nitpicky reason bugged the hell out of me uh, because Rose is French. She was brought up French, and she says, and my mother referred to her as new money. It's like yes. no, it's nouveau riche. <laughs> and she's French. That that's the that's the title. It's nouveau riche. Even in America, it's nouveau riche. So why would she say new? I have never heard the term new money. I I've heard it over here, over in the UK. Um, I've heard nouveau riche as well. But that that's never that's never annoyed me before because I have heard the term new money. But Kate should, oh, sorry Rose should have definitely said nouveau riche. But then it's it's in English. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was just like I've. I have never heard the term new money. I've always heard it referred to as nouveau riche. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That will, that will annoy me from now on. Like the, the only other thing that annoyed me was it was the, the fact that that Celine Dion song just... <laughs> it's relentless. <laughs> yeah, it's like it just keeps popping up over and over. It's like, oh, now they're playing it on the piano. Now they're playing it with a, like an Irish jig. It, yeah, I don't normally notice kind of themed music in, in, in films, but it's almost impossible not to notice it in this one. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's a blessing and a curse for the movie that that's, that it's so iconic. Yeah, there was a period in time where you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. And, uh, and especially like, and you hear those first like, uh, 10 with, seconds so many times. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so instantly recognizable. It's like, oh, there it is again. <laughs> Like, they're trying to play it on a different instrument, but I still recognize it, and I will have to stop. 
Oh dear. Now, I, I mentioned it didn't get nominated for Best Screenplay, because it is, at, at heart, quite a derivative story of Guy Meets Girl. Her family doesn't approve. And there are some terrible lines tied around, I would say. Um, have you seen Four Weddings and a Funeral? No, I haven't. Okay, well, at the end of that, there is an awful, awful scene in the rain where, um, can't remember the name of the actress. God damn, that's going to annoy me. Uh, she she says to, to Hugh Grant, um, is it raining? I didn't notice. And it just annoys me every time. And there's one line in here, which is the same thing, which is when Rose comes to Jack's res- rescue and he says, like, how did you find out I didn't do it? And put it, stealing the diamond kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I just realized I already knew. And I hate, I hate that line. <laughs> it's such a, a horrible, romantic, rubbish, <laughs> dross line. Oh, nauseating, but, you know. Didn't yeah. get nominated, so that's fine. James Cameron doesn't write the, the greatest scripts. He, he writes good characters, or um, flat characters, uh, kind of stereotypical. <laughs> and he writes good action scenes, but his scripts tend to leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. And he has a way with special effects. He does. He does indeed. Yes. Um, yeah. Which, like we mentioned before, just the, I mean, the, the whole sinking of the ship, which, I mean, I kind of knew that... Or I guess I I kind of knew that it was something that was uh, that took a long time, but whenever it was actually happening, I didn't realize. Boy, this they said that it'll take about two hours to uh, sink. I I didn't realize that they were being literal. And yes, it's almost in real time. Well, it pretty much is in real time. The sinking. I like that aspect. Yeah, I I thought yeah. it was great too. And and there's like a couple uh, bits of trivia that I noticed that that I thought were were really neat is that all. Uh, if you add up the time uh, in the movie that is actually back in 1912, it adds up to pretty much exactly the amount of time that it actually took the Titanic to sink huh. that, from start okay. to finish. And that's also, and the time in the movie between when they see the iceberg and when they hit the iceberg is exactly the same as the reported amount of time that that happened on the Titanic, 37 seconds. Okay, uh, the, the, the scene where they see the iceberg, uh, I love how this film um, posits that it's Jack and Rose's fault that they didn't see it, because they were distracting the guys on the gun, <laughs> up on the crow's nest, looking out over that, look down there, they're kissing, oh, there's an iceberg, ah! Because <laughs> I, I, most of the film is historically accurate, apart from the, everything with Jack and Rose in it. But Although I did catch, I did like the line where they were talking about how there wasn't any wind, and they mentioned that well, that'll make it harder to see the icebergs because you can see the the, the waves breaking yeah. on them. And they'd lost the binoculars. They mentioned that as well. Like they just just been put down and taken somewhere. So that's another reason. And it it was all the whole sinking. I was a little fascinated with it when I was at school. Uh, I did a, a whole project on it. I've, I've forgotten most of it now, but. It was a it was a perfect storm of of everything going wrong uh, in terms of if they if they'd hit the iceberg head on wouldn't have sunk because they turned it scraped along and and, and ripped into five of the compartments they hit it head on it would have broken two or four of them between two and four and they would have been fine but because they they turned and they dragged it along they sank uh, it's just little things like that and they I think the flares were the wrong color as well they they shot up white ones they should have been red I think um, it's, it's just so many things that went wrong. It, it, um, probability-wise, it was unsinkable. There wasn't a chance it was going to go down, but they just hit everything coming, and they were just very, very unlucky. Yeah. And they, well, they were very lucky in one one respect because the boat was almost half full. Like they had less than less than half of lifeboats for the modern people on board, but they could have had another thirteen hundred people on there. So, <laughs> yeah, they were very lucky. They should consider themselves lucky. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> All right. Well, I I think we've uh, covered enough of Titanic. Is, it, is there any final thoughts that you have? Uh, I could talk about it for hours. No, that, that, that's that's fine. That's fine. It's a film I will happily go back to many times and wait, waste. I've probably spent at least three solid days watching this film in my life. <laughs> Would you go back and see it? Do you think? Um. I don't know. I, I might look up clips. So one thing that, that I forgot to mention was before I had seen this movie in full, I th- I'm not sure how I caught it, but I did for some reason. I, I had seen the uh, the drawing scene with Kate Winslet. Like okay. I like I must have. I feel like I've flipped to HBO or Showtime at, at, at the right time, and it's like I caught that, and then I I turn. I didn't watch anything else. That that's arguably the most famous scene. I'd say the the draw me like one of your French girls scene. Yeah. yeah, which and and it's something that that I forget. I mean, this was back in in '97, and it's a it's a PG-13 movie, and and it's interesting to see like what they got away with in a PG-13 even just back then compared to what you can get away with now. It's like now you get like one or two curse words. <laughs> And uh, uh, they they probably couldn't even have that much nudity now. Well, I think it's it's context as well. Um, for example, when the King's Speech came out, uh, there's a scene in that with a lot of swearing in it. But it's it's to um, help him speak better. If he swears a lot, he can apparently speak more fluently. Um, but at the same time, a film called Made in Dagenham came out. And that had a lot more swearing, but it was more kind of conversational. It, well, it didn't have a lot more. It had about the same amount, possibly less, if, if you counted the words. And it was more conversational. It was more kind of realistic in terms of how these people in the 1950s, 60s, I can't remember, how they talked in their factory. That was just manner of speaking, how they how they talked. But one was uh, uh, 12 or PG-13, and one was uh, a higher rating than that. And there was a, a furor from the director of Maiden Dagenham, and he was he was very annoyed. And he kind of tried to fight it and didn't get anywhere. So it's it's all about context, and here the nudity is it's not kind of sexual nudity; it's artistic, it's for, it's for life drawing. <laughs> so maybe it's more allowable. Even though she, in in the uh, present scene, she uh, talks about that was the most erotic moment of my life. Up to that moment, yes. To, to her I, I thought that was a, a funny line. Actually, that that, that reminds me the the character I feel most sorry for in this film we never we never meet, which would be the man that she marries after when when she has one that she has the children and the grandchildren with. I feel very sorry for for that guy because she's always had this this five day fling fling with this guy who died and always remembered him. But then this new guy comes along, and she never felt the same way for him as she did for for Jack. <laughs> I always feel sorry for him. And and enough that she keeps this priceless diamond. Yes, yes. And why? Okay, okay. What's your opinion of why she throws it in in the, in the sea? What do you think of her throwing it away? Um, I don't know. I th- I thought it was like just a a tribute to the memory of Jack. But at the same time, it's like, ah, oh, that's so pointless. I, I, yes, it's it's utterly pointless. She's just she's just spoken to to Bill Paxton's character who says he's been searching for it for three years, which is time he's never going to get back. And the, what she could donate it to him, she could sell it to him, she could donate it to a museum at the very least. I mean, it doesn't need to be in the ocean to be dedicated to his to Jack's memory. She could set up her grandchildren for life. <laughs> it's worth more than the Hope Diamond, you know. <laughs> yeah. Always annoyed me. 
Small, small issues. I have small issues with every film. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of small issues, but overall, it, it's still an impressive movie. Yes, very much so. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the film that you watched for the first time, Dick Tracy. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk... Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download this show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. So Dick Tracy came out in 1990, just a year after the Tim Burton's Batman movie brought comic book movies into the forefront, even though this movie had been in development for quite a while before that. It was spearheaded by Warren Beatty, who uh, was adamant about playing the lead role, and uh, it also had a huge cast of uh, many different stars like uh, Al Pacino, um, Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> uh, I, I brought up the IMDb list and all the first ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, are, scroll like, down, scroll down. Charles Durning, Seymour Cassell, uh, Paul Sorvino, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> yeah, just so many great actors, and most of them are, are buried under tons of prosthetic makeup. Or appear uh, on screen for a very short amount of time. Right, and and the film, kind of like Batman, it it really looks like a comic book come to life, uh, especially the the Dick Tracy comic books. It's it's very bright colors. Uh, the backgrounds look like they're painted, which they probably are. Um, and the the action, there's a lot of silhouettes and shadows, and it, it's like almost the opposite of noir. <laughs> But uh, I always thought that it it was a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a bit of humor. There's the femme fatale with Madonna, who at the time she was, they were in an off-screen relationship, her and Warren Beatty, which that kind of lends itself to the screen as well with their chemistry. Um, so, what did you think about the movie? Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, it's I say it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a bit silly at times, but then it is it's a come to life as you as you very correctly said. It, I love I loved the aesthetic of it, all the, the the color scheme. I'm not at all familiar with the comics. This is the first introduction at all to Dick Tracy, and in fact, it's the only Warren Beatty film I've ever seen. <laughs> which I was I was watching thinking Warren Beatty. I'm very familiar with the name because he's a, a big Hollywood star. But I didn't recognise the face from anything, and I kind of looked on his on his IMDb and I was like, I haven't seen him in anything. This is this is the first thing. I, this is the only thing I know he's done. I mean, he's, he's in Bonnie and Clyde, obviously. He's in Reds. He's in Bullworth. But I've never seen these films. Um, I could. I, I think I said in the last show I could probably do my own filmized podcast because there's an awful lot of holes in my own uh, filmography. But uh, in terms of Dick Tracy, yes, I, I found it a very enjoyable film to watch, and I, I liked playing Spot the actor <laughs> uh, just because there are so so many. Apparently, the connection to Titanic. Apparently, Kathy Bates is in there somewhere. I completely missed her. And um, um, Cole Meany and uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara were names I, put, I noted down that I, I didn't spot. Yeah, I don't remember her. She Kat. is um, Mrs. Green, apparently. Mrs. Green, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Was she the, oh, was she the, the stenographer trying Maybe. to write down what mumbles were? Yeah, saying? I think that's who, who okay. she okay. was. Okay, she had glasses and a, and a different haircut on. 
Okay, but yes, I, um, my my favourite aspect of the film is probably Al Pacino, who was right. rightly nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the for his. Which, uh, even though this this movie is kind of like around the, the time where he started becoming the larger than life caricature that we now know as Al Pacino. But this is the it, this, it's entirely fitting here. He um he right. kind of takes over the film. He's he's over the top, but it's it's an over the top film. It's very stylistic, and his portrayal of Big Boy Caprice is is great. I mean, he's a kind of a larger than life character almost, and that just fits really well, and he's very entertaining to watch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I I always thought that um, Dick Tracy was himself was was an interesting character in this movie. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's kind of the the do-gooder, uh, who just um, kind of Dudley Do Right kind of character almost. But I, I, I liked his the only kind of arc he has is relationship-wise, uh, with finally kind of asking his his Tess, what's her name, Tess True, uh, Tess True Heart, True Heart, that's the one, asking her to move in or to marry him. Um, yeah, I, I did like him his character. Yes, yes. Yeah, and uh, the the movie is pretty much just about him trying to take down Big Boy Caprice, who's this. Uh, up and coming mob boss who's trying to take out all his commission, all, all of his competition and, uh, bring all the rest of him under, under his foot while at the same time doing everything he can to not have any evidence tying him to any of his crimes so he can't be arrested. Yes. And, and so if any of his uh, competition or his new partners takes out, uh, Dick Tracy, then, um, Big Boy's name will be be top of the list as, of suspects because he's got such a history with him. So he needs to keep him alive, but at a distance, which I thought was quite nice because normally it's a case of we must kill this guy, you know, we must kill the Batman. But now there's uh, this is a guy who understands the justice system and knows that he to stay successful he needs to not be incarcerated. And then the and then towards the uh, the second half of the movie there's a third character that's introduced called No Face who <laughs> is one of those who literally has no face that's just a, a blank uh, a blank egg shaped so an, an empty Rorschach mask kind of thing yeah and uh, and he comes in and and he kind of throws a, a wrench into the the system and you're never quite sure if he's trying to take down Big Boy or he's trying to take down Dick Tracy or a little bit of both well, I are we doing spoilers? Are we okay to do spoilers? Yeah, I'm... Okay. Well, ab- about two-thirds way through the film, I've r- wrote down my notes. No face equals Madonna? Question mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very, very good at guessing these kind of things. It annoys everyone I watch films with. But there, it, logically, there weren't too many people that that character could have been um, in terms of who they interact with and who's been introduced and who it would matter if it was that person. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was just one of the other mob bosses, that's kind of what you expect it to be. Um, and you don't really know any of them too well. Whereas if it's Breathless Mahoney, then it kind of makes it. Oh, it doesn't. It, it's a big enough of a surprise. Um, but I, I liked the introduction of No Face. I liked not knowing exactly what it was they were trying to do, other than bring everything down around them and. Or, the or if it was a, uh, or if it was a more poorly written movie, it would just it would be like some complete third party who yes. introduced it all. Yeah, it'd be somebody that had uh, had scorned both Dick Tracy and or had been scorned by Dick Tracy and Big Boy Caprice in the past. Like some some their their long lost twin brother or something. <laughs> never knew about. Yeah. <sighs> yes. But, um let's see the the kid is the other one of the other main characters 
for the most part, is only ever known as the kid. And I, I am not normally a fan of children in films. I'm just I'm not normally a fan of children, generally. Um, but I, I liked the kid. I liked his character. I liked most things about him. And he had his own little story of he didn't want to be sent back to the the orphanage. He wanted to kind of stay and solve crime with Dick. Yeah, so I, I'm glad to hear that because I, I, I did mostly in, enjoy the kid too. I, I thought he had the right amount of um, like precociousness, but he was also uh, he also helped enough that he yes, wasn't I, in the way he wasn't just cute for the sake of being cute he actually felt like he was uh somewhat integral to to the storyline in several places and it was genuinely funny as well the fact that he just never stops eating <laughs> uh, i i quite liked uh, but there was one aspect of his plotline when he's first introduced it's as a witness to uh is it flat top who is taking out um a, a poker game or some other game of uh, uh, gambling den and the kid is in the background and sees it. And I thought, oh, he's going to come up as he's a witness and it's going to bring everything down. But it's never mentioned again. <laughs> and I, was like, I, was just, I was waiting for that to happen. Like, he's going to be the integral part of this plot. And he's just been under under Dick Tracy's nose the whole time. And it's like, nope, just, nope doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I remember when one of the characters in, in the poker game was Little Face. Yes. Which is <laughs> <laughs> one of the most bizarre <laughs> characters who has just this giant, massive head and then and normal size face. normal size face right in the middle. It, well, which, all of the, the prosthetic is, the prosthetic makeup, I don't think holds up nearly as well. <laughs> It, it doesn't hold up, but it looks great. I think um, it, uh, in terms of it, it looks very fake, but it looks like it belongs in this film. And, it, and you it, said it kind of fits the aesthetic. Yeah, and you said that you weren't familiar with the comic books or the comic strips. Mm. Uh, it was, I think, it, it's uh, is most well known as being like a newspaper comic strip. Um, but okay. uh, and and I'm not very familiar with it either. But what I am familiar with is pretty much all the designs of the villains came directly lifted from the comic strip. Yeah, I, I had a look at some some images online just to kind of see where the hell this kind of ideas came from, and it yeah, it, they did a great job, I think. Um, and, and that was also part of the reason why there are so many of the villain characters because I believe it was Warren Beatty who was was a huge fan of the property, it, and I I could be wrong, but I believe he still owns the rights to uh, Dick Tracy and kind of has wants to do another movie it's something that's been on the back burner for the past 20 years okay. it, it, it made me uh made me smile that only the kind of the, the gangster characters had these kind of facial deformities <laughs> uh, every, everyone else just looked like people well, there, there, was, there was one other one there, there was the uh, the police bug that was in the top and he had these big years okay i, I didn't see that um but but it, it was also kind of more a more minor character detail. Yes, yes, I, I quite liked. Well, I, I felt a little bit ill watching uh, Paul Sorvino's character lips eating. Uh, <laughs> it was just eating the oysters. That was a little bit disgusting. But both him and, and James Khan, they're in the film for seconds almost. They have like less than twenty lines apiece. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the feeling that they wanted to be in the film, but they didn't want to spend all that time in the makeup. So they kind of do a, do a short, uh, a small character. Whereas people like William Forsyth, who played Flattop, was uh, is, is a kind of a lesser actor, or lesser known actor, I should say. He's a great actor than the two of them. Uh, I was, so although I would say that uh, that the uh, actors or the villains that had the most screen time did definitely have the the best makeup. Like I thought, uh, Big Boy's makeup looks looked pretty good. Flat Top. Um, and then uh, Itchy, although Itchy didn't have very pronounced makeup. No, 
uh, prune face? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about prune face. It's <laughs> a bit more like a mask. Yes, yes. I, 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 I was surprised to see screen. Dustin Hoffman. As well, yeah, actually. I, I and, didn't know he was in it. Yeah, and uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, the, every time I've seen it, the, that one moment is my favorite moment of the movie by far. Whenever he's uh, playing the tape back and he's messing with the tape. And then and he just goes like, from laughing to crying. And then, and then, well, and then after that, he speaks perfectly normal. Yes, <laughs> and that was clearly. great. <laughs> I mean, it, it's such an obvious joke, but I don't it know. Works. It, yeah, it yeah. works and it works so well. Yeah, I, I was just, I was very surprised to see him in such a, because it's not that integral of a role. I mean, it's a, because there's not a lot of acting required in it. It's just a case of literally mumbling. <laughs> Pretty much any actor could do it, but Dustin Hoffman just brought it to another level, and it's great. Um, yeah, and, and this is, this is another movie, like a, a little bit, not quite as far as, uh, uh, Titanic, but, uh, it had the, uh, PG rating and Madonna wears a few. <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> right. When she's got the, the see-through black kind of robe on and just, uh, just some briefs underneath. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've not. I'm not used to. I've never been a big fan of Madonna, but after this film, I'm slightly more of a fan of hers. Should we say? Yeah, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Madonna's films, but yeah, I think this role fits her well, especially at the time. Yeah, the the femme fatale kind of object of desire kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think she does pretty well with what she was given, and and of course, it, I'm sure it helped that she was dating Warren Beatty at the time. Yes, yes, that must have helped. Not not just to get the role, but also it helped the role itself. Yeah, there's a, a good uh, chemistry between the two uh, in in the couple of scenes they have together where chemistry is required. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I I'm getting a bit tired of the the uh, the, the scene where the the floozy or Madonna's kind of character is caught kissing uh, the the hero by the. Um, by his current squeeze, current girlfriend, in a scene that's that's kind of kind of taken out of context a little bit. Like I don't need to see that anymore. But I suppose twenty five years ago that was fine. <laughs> I don't know. I I thought this this movie handled it better than most of the movies that I've seen because like she never and she never mentions it. The fact that Tess never mentions the fact that she sees them, that she saw them ever in in the movie. She just has the moment and and then she leaves and. Uh, you said that like it was taken out of context, but I don't know. It's kind of in context. Well, okay, she she kisses him. If we're getting into semantics, but yes, I suppose he doesn't stop. Well, and it's I don't know. I I was because I was looking for that a little bit, and he does like in that first kiss, he does go in. <laughs> she she. Obviously, is that acting, or is that just him kissing his girlfriend? <laughs> but it's not like one of those where she forces him to kiss to kiss her. It's, yes. Okay. Yeah. It is actually consensual in the moment, and he's caught, but he's not confronted. She just, uh, she just has the moment where she breaks down on the other side of the wall, but then kind of pulls it together pretty quickly, but then decides to leave, which yes. it makes sense in that context, and uh, <coughs> actually seems like the right choice to make. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't don't disagree. Uh, one thing I did quite like was um, the scene where. 
uh, Dick Tracy is caught, is stuck in that room that uh, Tess had been held kidnapping, and he can't get out. And he kind of works out the maths in terms of getting the seesaw to work, and <laughs> and uh, leaving the other cop just stuck up there. Because normally it's just the case of let's just try it and find out and see what happens. But he's actually sat there writing down the calculations and how much do you weigh? Like 195, yeah, 210 pound, and just works out all the maths. And like I I need appreciation for that kind of thing because it wouldn't normally work in real life. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure it, it wouldn't work as it's shown in the film. But still, the fact that they, they're showing some kind of uh, calculations being done, I, I approve of that. And is it just me or is is Dick Tracy the only detective who does anything <laughs> because as soon as he's kind of locked away everything starts going wrong again and he's more than happy to leave the other cop in trapped in that room whilst he goes out and, and sorts everything out because he doesn't trust anyone else to do anything like he's the only character the only good character who does anything yeah that's, that pretty much sums it up uh, um, um one thing i'm sure i'm sure you caught was at the very start when they're in the theater um, and he gets the little message on his phone. He he does the Batman voice when they're in the theater. <laughs> He's kind of uh, stage whispering to to Tess. But he does the I want to know how this turns out. He does he does the Christian Christian Bale Batman voice. <laughs> I didn't know twenty years before it's done. Or Fifteen years. Yeah, I didn't fully notice that. But I I the one thing I did notice that I haven't mentioned yet is the uh, Danny Elfman score, which is very reminiscent of Batman. It's, it's been a long time since I've seen Batman. You can almost say I could do it on this as another film on this show. It's been so long. But yes, I, I did quite like the score. It was very fitting. No. Um, well, I, did, I don't know. Is there... Um... Uh, I, I just want to talk more about, about Al Pacino and how great he is. <laughs> he's, just <laughs> he's just brilliant in this film. Just um, there's, During the kind of the chase at the end when he's got Tess kidnapped, and um, he's got which, that, they're uh, running up the bridge, and he's like, we, we can make it. Oh, no, wait, we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I'm gonna have an idea. It's gone. Uh, just yeah. he's a great villain. Just, yeah, and and I love the his uh, misquoted, uh, all the misquoted famous quotes from history, and <laughs> and he makes sure to credit them every time he says it. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I also I I really like the the whole scheme where it's like he is. Uh, He's saddled with, uh, he's being, he's the one that's also being framed for kidnapping Tess whenever it was, uh, Breathless Mahoney who sets him up. And he's yeah. like, you know, I, I didn't kidnap you. Well, I'm kidnapping you now, but I didn't kidnap you. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's genius. And uh, you could get arrested for kidnapping, the one thing you didn't do. But I, I liked the setup of, of, of Dick Tracy as well. That, that was kind of ingenious. It only works because he has such an iconic costume of the, the bright yellow coat and the hat and getting set up for, for killing the DA. Um, but it's it's just a little setup I quite liked. I, I, I appreciated that. And and of course the DA is played by another famous face, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, <laughs> love it. <laughs> I, I saw his name in the opening credits. I was like, hang on, hang on. We've got Dick Van Dyke. We've got Charles Durning. We've got Seymour Cassell. We've got so, so many character actors in this film. <laughs> oh, wonder how have I not? See, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. Actually, um, a few years ago, I went to I visited uh, Los Angeles, and we went on a, a studio tour. We did both Warner Brothers and Universal. I can't remember which one this is. I want to say Warner Brothers, but um, the guy doing the tour, he w- it wasn't used to having like major film buffs on on. I think, <laughs> and so he was asking a lot of kind of rhetorical questions, not expecting to get much of an answer. Like, who, so does anyone know who the uh, the most profitable director is? Like, ah, Robert Zemeckis. Okay, anyone know who the most profitable star is? Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> he was just getting really annoyed with me because I was getting all, all these questions right, and. Um, 
we finally got to uh, uh, a bit of the Dick Tracy set. I was like, can anybody tell me where this is, what, what film this is from? And he kind of looks at me, and everyone else in the group kind of looks at me. He's like, I, I don't know, I have no idea. And he spent about 20 minutes doing Dick Tracy stuff because he knew I hadn't seen it. <laughs> and it just, just rev- relished in it. Oh, and so I, I kind of knew I had to get around to watching it at some point. So thank you for, for having me on to talk about it. Yeah, it's... I mean, I will say that it's not one of the best movies <laughs> out there. It is very silly, but I mean, it's fun. Yeah, but it, it's a lot of fun, and and the cast is just incredible. Just to see all these faces, even though they're buried <laughs> under makeup, <laughs> all these all these actors that that you recognize from so many other things. Yeah. In this silly comic book movie. I'm, I'm very glad that I've seen it. Um, yeah. So I'm a big I'm a big character actor fan. So yeah. All right. Well, um, I'd like to thank you for um, joining me today. Been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. All right, and why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you online? Yep, you can find most of my writing at lifeversusfilm.com. You can listen to me on the Lambcast, which you can find on iTunes under Lambcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at lifeversusfilm. That's life vs film. All right, and as always, I am Bubba Wheat. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat. You can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com, and you can follow FilmWise on Stitcher, iTunes, on Podomatic, uh, just however you listen to podcasts. Uh, I'm sure you can find me there and if you want to know. And then, of course, next week I will be back with another FilmWise Extra uh, where I will be interviewing um, Macon Blair from the uh, from his movie Blue Ruin that just recently came out. And if you want to know what two films we'll be talking about on the next regular episode, go ahead and listen through to the end for the mashup trailer. Until next time. Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories.